Hello everybody, Dr. F. Scott Field here, and I'd like to introduce you to our newest sponsor. The NPTE Final Frontier is the review course that I wish was around when I took the board exam. For those of you who know my story, it took me a handful of times to pass that exam, and quite frankly, I really wish I had an, an, an exam review course around, uh, just like the NPTE Final Frontier. Check out their website, NPTEFF.com. And use the code HET at checkout for 10% off to all of our listeners and fans. Good morning, Nancy. I'm so excited to spend time and space with you. And to all, for all of our listeners, this is going to be an amazing session on the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. And so we are so lucky to have Nancy here with us. And so, Nancy, I'm going to yield and let you introduce yourself to everyone. Tell us who you are and where are you from and what do you do? All righty. Great. Thanks so much. And I love spending any time I can spend with you, Lisa. So it's, it's, it's a mutual admiration society there. Uh, so I'm Nancy Kirsch, and I am currently at Rutgers University. And I'm the uh, interim chair for the Rehab and Movement Sciences Department. So it's uh, the Doctor of PT program, the Doctor of OT program, and a master's in speech and language and um, with a concentration in multilingual. So, you Ooh. know, we recognize that there are people with speech difficulties that don't have English as their primary language. So we're kind of getting into that little niche, and it's very exciting. Uh, so that's my role uh, professionally. I was in private practice for many years, have been in rehab, have been in acute care. I've kind of had the opportunity to uh, do it all in our profession over the past 50-plus um, years. Uh, so it's, it's been a really exciting, exciting ride. Wow. Okay, so there were so many questions. But the one that is like jumping out to me is the multilingual, because I've not heard of anyone step into that space and it's so needed. So how did y'all come up with that idea? What languages are you currently providing support for? So um, it was pretty easy to come up with the idea uh, being centered here in North New Jersey. We are an extremely diverse community and we have an extremely diverse student body. And we wanted to really approach a need that was out there that was not being met. And that was in terms of people that needed speech services, that um, English was not their first language. And uh, we needed to be able to have people that were linguistically capable of helping them uh, communicate more effectively in their native language. So um, that's what we're doing. And uh, it's it's super exciting. So we've got um, you know students coming in with a language background as well as the interest in communications. That's so exciting. And so I'm assuming that Spanish is one of the languages. Are there other? Um, there are others. Okay. There are others. I mean, we're definitely concentrating on Spanish right now. It's a new program, and we can't do everything. But we also have a very large Portuguese community right here and a very large um, uh, community that speaks Arabic. Wow. So those are really, but every other language as well. <laughs> so wow. we can't do them all at once. Yes. Um, so, you know, our, our concentration is definitely Spanish first, uh, but also recognition of Portuguese and Arabic as well. So thank you so much for being that model of inclusive excellence in regards to language. And so I'm curious, 
after mm, years, what was your journey to PT? How did you become a PT? So I had a wonderful uh, uh, journey to PT, which was very typical of women of my generation. Uh, because I thought I wanted to, I knew I wanted to go into, me, you know, medicine, into healthcare. So I thought perhaps I would be a physician. But my guidance counselor and everybody else told me, no, no, women are not physicians. They're nurses. Okay. So I was like, but I don't think I really want to be a nurse. I think I want to be a medical doctor. And she was, you know, nobody was really supporting that idea. But I shadowed a medical doctor, and I really enjoyed the experience. As we went through the hospital, this back in the days where you could just kind of wander in and out of hospitals any way, you, which way you wanted to. And so I was with him, and he was, you know, there was no HIPAA or anything like that. So we're in and out of patient rooms. And he'd go in, hi, Mr. Jones, how are you? And I'd say, oh, you know, and I was just kind of there. Down the hall, way down the hall, there was a person in a wheelchair and somebody with him. And they were kind of talking and laughing. And as we went in and out of different rooms, I was noticing they were coming closer. He was no longer using the wheelchair. He was gone to a walker. And by the time they got close to us, he was using a cane. And, you know, it was kind of like a, a fast action kind of thing, like you'd see in the movies. But it was happening right in front of me. And I found out this person was something I'd never heard of before called a physical therapist. And he was working with this person and they had a great relationship. And there was, you know, it was obvious there was mutual trust and mutual concern for each other. And just the way that they were talking with one another. And I was with a great physician, but he was in and out of rooms. How are you? What's happening? You know, and he was having a two minute interaction. And I was watching a good half hour of progression coming towards me. And I needed to know more about this field I'd never heard about before. So I looked into it a little bit more, did some volunteering, actually got a job as, as a PT tech, which back then meant you actually treated patients. Oh, my gosh. Coming out of the regulatory world, did I just say that? Okay. It was, um, it was the Wild West for sure. And uh, I realized this is actually what I wanted to do. I wanted to be engaged in a healthcare field where you really got to know your patients and you made a significant difference in the quality of life. So that's what I wanted. I just couldn't figure out how to get it because there were no programs in the state in which I was living. My father was pretty much old school, like your girl, you kind of stay close to home, you know, yeah. go to school in the neighborhood sort of thing. Um, by the way, you're going to college. Um, it was a very different time. Uh, but he acquiesced, and uh, I started school in-state, but I transferred into a PT program after that. I went to uh, Temple University. I, I got a great education, and it was exactly where I wanted to be, in an incredibly dynamic but very young field. Just starting to feel that we weren't really technicians, but we sure weren't where we are now. That is such a great story. Oh, my goodness. I felt like it was a movie. I was like, can tell me more. It was a movie. It's still a movie, except it was like, you know, one of those slow movies, one of the talkies. And now we've got it, you know, on Netflix. I'm looking forward to the series called Nancy Kirsch. It's coming to Netflix near you. Coming. It's coming. So you have been in multiple leadership roles, both at Rutgers and also um, for the Federation. How did you? 
make the transition into those roles? And what would you tell people? Like if they have interest to, you know, move up into these higher tiers of leaderships, what would be your advice? I would say let it be organic. Mm. Let it be involved and let it be that you are just engaged. And it will come to you because I'd like to tell you that I had aspirations and a goal. And I met, you know, I, I was able to achieve those aspirations and those goals, but I had lots of aspirations, but they weren't in any particular, like I'm going to be president of the Federation of State Boards of Physical Therapy, or I'm going to have the opportunity to rewrite the code of ethics for the APTA or anything like that. I was just fortunate to have people that encouraged me to be engaged. And I was engaged throughout my professional life. And the opportunities are there, but they're there because you're engaged and you're interested and you want to be doing it. And then we're so fortunate because while we've come a long way, we're still a very young field. We are. You know, a hundred years old, 101. And um, you're moving along. And so there's room for everybody. There's room for everybody to make a difference. Uh, you're a great example of that. You know, somebody that just makes a difference. And so we all do it in our own space. But the fact is, there is room for all of us to do it. Well, thank you so much. And so who was some of the influencers on your career? Because we've talked a little bit about how education was different back then. So who motivated you? So I was, I was so fortunate. Um, I started at Kessler Institute in West Orange. It was where I, I did my clinical. And I didn't do very well. Really? In, uh, yeah, I, I struggled. I was struggling in that clinical placement. I had a CI who was very demanding. And I was kind of a shy, quiet, introverted. I'm still shy and quiet and introverted. Well, maybe not as quiet. And I was pretty overwhelmed by that, that place. It was overwhelming. And I said, hmm, I can't be intimidated by this. I need to get a job here. And, and maybe I can, I can make it a little bit less intimidating for students. You know, so I did that. I don't know why. But Jim Tucker, who probably a lot of people don't know, but he was a, he was a champion of this field. He was one of those quiet, movers and shakers that, you know, didn't make a lot of noise, but sure made a big difference. And he was uh, involved in APTA and he packed all of us new grads, new, new, you know, early career professionals into his car and said, you're going to an APTA meeting. Okay. And off we went. That was kind of, that was it. My first APTA meeting, I walked in and my colleagues were sitting there talking about having a turkey raffle to raise money. And I went, what? What is this? And I immediately became involved. And I, I think I was publicity chair or something like that. It was pretty intimidating. Publicity then was paper. You had, oh, produced paper and you sent it to people and they got it, you know? So publicity chair was slow moving. And I became publicity chair and then secretary and then I wanted to go to the House of Delegates because I figured that would be an interesting way to get involved. But guess what? The requirement was that you were a, a member of the APTA for two years oh. to be a member of the House of Delegates. 
And I had been a student member for the two years prior, but I hadn't, I was only a year into having graduated. We petitioned for it, and that was my first advocacy move. And I got to be a delegate. And I was a delegate for many years until I was actually appointed to the um, Board of Physical Therapy when it's a conflict of interest to be on the board, the regulatory, and be involved in the professional association at that level. Still can be involved, and I was, but not in making decisions. So that's where that little split took place. And um, I, it, the, the rest is, is history, as they say, because every one of us has an opportunity to be involved on some level. Well, I just want to personally say on behalf of the profession, right, I'm going to take on that, that privilege of the pulpit. We are very thankful to you, Jim Tucker, for having that vision, putting her in that car and saying you come into an APTA meeting, right? He did it for lots of us. Yes. You know? yes. And that's what each one of us has to do. Be on the mountain, because to me, he's on the mountain, reaching down and pulling up the other people. Just yes. Kind of pulling them up. And, uh, and that's what he did. He pulled each one of us up, pulled us in got us involved, got us engaged, and, um, and I'm, I'm forever grateful to them for that. Thank you. And we are too. We are very <laughs> thankful. And I find that so many of us have silent gi giants, right? Champions that other people may not have heard of, but they were part of our journey um, to getting us to this place. And so talking about getting you to this place, um, what are your recent activities? What are you doing to transform education right now? Education is, is obviously our future. So we all know that, but we're in a bit of a crisis in that who are the people that we're attracting to become physical therapists? You know, uh, are, they, are they bright? Oh, yeah, they are. They're tremendously bright. And thank heavens for that. We need that. Yes. Are they empathetic? Maybe. Do they have the right qualities to to be able to really engage with another human being and accept that as a privilege? Oh. It's a privilege to be in somebody else's life in their space. And that's what we do. We get in somebody else's space. And, uh, you know, we've just spent two and a half years of staying out of each other's space. But as PTs, even through telehealth, we were in people's space. And that's not an easy thing to be able to do and maintain your own well-being. So we've got to get the right people in the field. And so we've got to be able to find those virtues and those characteristics that couple with the intelligence to be able to be the right type of clinician. And that's going to require, that requires us to be doing a little bit of a different admissions process and a little bit of a different way in which we educate oh. in order to kind of come up with that clinician. Oh, so I, I'm, for those of you who know, I'm from the South. And so we have a saying here when people are just saying things that are so impactful and true and inspiring, you're like, the doors of the church are now open. Um, so I was like, yes, Nancy, tell me more. <laughs> tell me more. So out of curiosity, um, when you talk about selecting a candidate with maybe a different set of attributes, now we're not saying that we're not looking for people that aren't smart, 
but we're also, I hear you kind of talking about relational capacity, their ability to form relationships. What are some of the things you recommend people look for? So, you know, I think this is the opportunity to kind of go out there a little bit and do this a little differently and and use technology to our advantage. AI, artificial intelligence in seeking from what people write, from what people have done to find some of these characteristics that make them able to make these connections. Because so many times we've had that really bright 4.0 student that just flounders in clinic, just can't handle the relationships that are required for a good therapeutic relationship with a patient. So how do we find that? You know, how do we do that um, and do it effectively so we don't close people out? But then after we do that, we need to recognize that maybe they haven't had the support along the way to be able to be successful in a very stressful program like a PT program is. So we can't just admit people. We've got to provide supports. And we've got to provide the supports from our PT community. So it's reaching out to people and saying, you look like this person. You act like this person. They can relate to you to help them, give them the support to be able to manage the, the rigor of the curriculum. Got to balance the two. Yes, yes. Thank you so much, Nancy. And I loved how you did that juxtaposition of admit and accept, right? Because I think about being admitted to an event, right? I get a ticket to go into something. But when someone accepts me, there's like a group of belonging and we're in this together. And so why do you think people are so hesitant to like the transformation that you talked about or any transformation of education? What's holding us back? Well, you know, we've got an awful lot of requirements we've got to meet. So people don't want to take a chance. You know, you don't don't want to take a chance. It's kind of hard to to report on the statistics of if you've lost a lot of students. We don't want to, we don't want to take that chance and, and, and go against the grain. But we've got to do that in order to make a difference for the profession. Yeah. Our profession has to act different and look different going down the road. Um, we did great for this first century. We've got to do better in the next century. And so if we're going to be able to treat and make an impact for the population that's out there, we've got to be able to be part of that population and reflect that population. And we can only do that if we have the opportunity to to really kind of change what we're looking for, but then also how we produce physical therapists in the future. Wow. Thank you so much. And so... This last question I ask of each person who comes onto the podcast, and I'm, I'm curious in how you're going to respond, because you are someone who does have a large amount of influence. But the question is, is what would you transform about healthcare education if you had a different level of influence and time? I, first of all, don't think I have any influence, and which is, you know, most of us kind of think that most of the time. I am so about 
us as physical therapists owning our profession and being owners of our practice. Now, I'm not talking about being a practice owner. I was one of those for many, many years, and I went that way because I felt I needed to own my practice and couldn't in in the environment I was in. So I said, well, then go out there and do it yourself there, dear. You know, if if, if you can't be the PT you need to be in, in this environment, you need to go create the environment. So we did that. And I think we we had a good, solid practice for many years. But I think what we have to do is we have to empower people to own their practice and to be accountable and to take responsibility for what we do. And then I think we have to look at exactly what our values are as PTs. And one of them being excellence, recognizing that we're not going to be perfect. We can't be perfect. We're human beings. We are subject to imperfection in so many ways. But we can always, always, always strive for excellence. And I think if we can empower people to do that, to own the practice, to strive for excellence, to feel good about what they've done and not feel like somebody else is dictating how they do it, that's been our evolution as a profession. And we're, we're continuing in that direction. And to recognize that all of us have our contributions and then we need to pull those others up and then get out of the way and let it happen for other people. We don't have to be the ones that are leading all the time. We can't lead all the time. We need to empower other people to take it the next step. So that's what I would say we need to be able to produce. I feel like I need a fan. Like I'm on the first, I'm on the first pew of church. Wow. I am so thankful that you agreed, accepted the invitation to come and talk to me today, but we're not done. So we always end the session with what's known as the hot seat. Uh oh. So there are five questions and y'all, she doesn't have any clue what these questions are going to be. All right. So you ready, Nancy? I'm ready. Okay, what's your favorite food? Oh, I think my favorite food is probably vegetable pot pie because my daughter makes it and I don't have to. Oh, that sounds delicious. What's your favorite color? Uh, I think my favorite color right now has to be red. And that would that would explain the lanyard. Yeah, red. well, that explains the lanyard because it's Rutgers Physical Therapy. And so... What is the last book you read? I just read a book um, called The um, The Doctor's Daughter. Ooh. And it was about a young woman uh, in the Holocaust who saved um, some, some uh, individuals that were uh, incarcerated at Auschwitz and just the difficulty of being in that you know, situation. And was it fictional or non-fictional? It was historical fiction. Okay. Very nice. Very yeah. nice. So what do you think the price of a DPT program should be? I'd have to say that I'd have to go with my very, you know, Northeastern kind of liberal thoughts. It should be free. They're going to vote you for president. Oh, no. They're going <laughs> to vote me off the island. I think that there should be enough financial support that people come out without loans. 
around. Okay, see, this podcast got trend. The young people are going to be like, listen to Nancy. But they've got to work in underserved areas to pay that back. So it's not just a free ride here. Okay. I love that. I love that. And as someone who is down here in rural Louisiana, I'm like, I, we agree. We yeah, 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 agree. Yeah, yeah. So the last question is, what does the world need more of and why? Compassion and integrity. With the core part of integrity, grit. Grit is in integrity. And if we had compassion and integrity, and if we remember why we're a democracy, that we're there to support those with less by those that have more, but in a way that encourages growth and development, I think we'd be just fine. But a, a little bit of caring would be really nice. Well, I am so honored to be able to share time and space with you. I always learn so much when I am able to sit and listen to you, and I'm sure our viewers are going to just be delighted um, in their ability to learn from you today. So thank you so much, Nancy. You're so welcome. And, and to everybody, this woman, if she says she wants you to do something, you do it because she's just awesome. So nobody can say no to Lisa. I'm going to accept that. I'm going <laughs> to accept that because I needed to hear that. But thank you so, so much. It was, it was a pleasure. Great to see you.